For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of My Big Break with the VOC Nation Network. I am Jerry Strauss and we have got a real good one for you this week. We are on the cusp of the release of a- another uh, great documentary in the world of professional wrestling. We're going to talk all about it. Uh, this is a gripping and poignant documentary called The Other Side of the Ring. Uh, it's a fascinating film that showcases four women within the male-dominated industry of professional wrestling. It releases on digital platforms on May 20th, and we'll tell you all about where you can find it, how you can find it, how you can check it out yourself. We are going to talk to one of those four women here this week, you may know her as Winter from her time in TNA or Impact. Katie Lee Burchell, you may remember her as Nikita from back in the day or Katarina Waters. Uh, however, you may know her and love her, we're happy to have her here. Let's bring her on right now. Katarina, there you are. Hello. Hi. How are you? Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, thanks for being here. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you've probably got the most diverse career that I've ever heard of in the world of pro wrestling, simply from a name perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a rap sheet. All <laughs> it's all you. Um, but you know, it, it's so cool to talk to you on, on the cusp of the release of this documentary, The Other mm-hmm. Side of the Ring. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you right off the bat. There's been so many documentaries and stories told these days through podcasts, through um, you know TV series, and so many ways that we've kind of learned about the pro wrestling business from from the inside out. What drew you to this project and being a part specifically uh, of the other side of the ring? Um, well, I guess the documentary maker Jeremy Norris he asked me to be a part of it. I thought it sounded interesting just from. You know, I knew, obviously, I know the other wrestlers that are involved in it, and I thought we had a pretty diverse story of how we got to wrestling, and I thought that was an interesting, you know, concise way to show, like, how people from different backgrounds can be drawn to the, the same thing and get started, and mm-hmm. and then again, how many different paths, you know, our careers have taken, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. And, of course, uh, in addition to you, uh, we, we've got Delilah Doom, who is a big part of this, uh, Shelly Martinez, uh, who, of course, is our, uh, our broadcast mate, if you will, here on the VOC network, uh, and uh, Kata Megan as well, uh, all telling different stories, but all kind of 
sharing their paths into this very same world, this giant world known as pro wrestling. Um, we're going to talk about your path a little bit on this show okay. without trying to ruin too much of the movie. We're going to walk a fine <laughs> line here. So um, some, of the, some of this might be in spoiler alert territory because it might be some things you talk about in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go back to it. This is something I know you've talked about on multiple occasions. I think it pops up in the movie as well. But, I mean, this is the kind of uh, topic that never gets old. Is it true that at a young age... You're, one of your first entry points into understanding the pro wrestling world was reading about uh, the WrestleMania Six Ultimate Warrior Hulk Hogan main event and uh, believing that the Ultimate Warrior's mysterious origins, parts unknown, mm-hmm. you bought that. That was a real I thing to it. you. Yes. I'm very, I'm very gullible. I like, to, I like to say I'm not stupid. But sometimes I'm a bit slow. <laughs> so I guess that was one of those moments. But, I mean, I had no reason to doubt it. It was written in a magazine, so. Well, look, that was, what, 30-plus years ago at this point as well. Um, it, that stuff was supposed to work on kids, so I think it's okay. Right, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if you and still you know, believed it now, I'd be a little concerned. Yeah. But, you know, interestingly, as opposed to most other people, once I did find out that it wasn't real, that actually enhanced it for me. I thought it was even more exciting, you know, because I, I sort of come from a theater background. When I was young, we went to the theater a lot. I loved, you know, watching plays. I liked, I loved acting. That was, you know, my first path, what I was going to do when I grew up. Mm-hmm. So for me, the theatrics of it and knowing that these men and women are for all intents and purposes, acting, I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. That's that's really cool. You know, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we get to your time in Impact, mm-hmm. um, because you took it to a new extreme uh, <laughs> at that point in your career as well. But, um, you know, I want to ask you, you debuted in the year 2000 after being uh, after being tra- fully trained, you first started out in something called the Transatlantic Wrestling Challenge. This is one of your first big coming out parties, so to speak, as a pro wrestler. Big tournament, British and American wrestlers, where you won the women's championship. Yeah. Was that, um, I mean, that seems like a really interesting way to uh, to experience being in the ring and performing for one of your very first times to be in this mix with this international array of talent. Um, did you find that it was educational for you to, to kind of mix it up with people from all over the world? Because that was kind of a, a mark of your earlier career going all over the world. Right. Absolutely. Well, it was exciting because, you know, like you said, I literally just started and it was one of the first times that I went to training and somebody told me about this project that it was coming up and they said to me, well, you know, if you keep coming, then, you know, maybe you can come watch the show. And I was thinking already in my head, this is maybe my second training session. <laughs> I'm wow. thinking in my head, no, I want to be on it. <laughs> and it just so happened. But back then, as I'm sure you know, there wasn't a lot of women around. In fact, I was the only woman oh. at Hammerlock UK that was you know, the, the British half of mm-hmm. the show, um, because they were affiliated with the NWA. So they were the NWA UK, and that's how they uh, set up the tournament with wrestlers from here, from the NWA. Okay. And so I was the only British woman that they had. And so 
<laughs> they trained me up good enough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you ever go so back and look at but yep. you know, in all fairness, I had two amazing women. So it was Violet Flame and then Riptide that I worked with, and they took such. I mean, they could have been, mm. you know, veterans about it, but they were so awesome with me. They took great care of me. They taught me through. They made me look good. You know, they were true professionals. So I really have to thank them that because they could have made me look pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever go back and watch any of your really older stuff? Like if that footage is available to you, do do you do that or do you just prefer to leave the past in the past? No, I like to, but I mean, like you said, back in the day, you know, there was no YouTube, there was no you know social media, so it's a lot of that stuff was sort of lost. And then yeah. some people have it, and it's been popping up on the internet. So I did actually see some of that show, the Transatlantic uh, came up on YouTube. Uh, So I watched a little bit of that. And then uh, back in Hammerlock, one of my main adversaries, his name was Magic. And he recently, you know, posted posted a match of ours or a clip of it. So I was able to watch some. So it's, I mean, it's interesting because, yes, when I first have a match or do something, you know, that's on camera, I often have resistance to watching it because, you know, you're afraid of it being bad. <laughs> sure. But when it's 20 years in the past, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's bad, you know, but it's just it's still exciting to watch then. It's interesting because some people can take that attitude, which is great, which is, yeah, it's supposed to be bad. It was 20 years ago. Um I, I'm not one of those people personally. No. I can't. Well, right, but then sometimes, but then sometimes it's the other. Because actually, when I once I went to FWA, and nothing against you know the training at Hammerlock was great, but I just hadn't evolved yet so far. But then at FWA, which was really in England, the most you know the sort of uh, progressive wrestling company there was at that time. Yeah. And then looking back now, matches that I had there, thinking I wish I'd known how good I was. Back then, you mm. know, so that's on the not to pat myself on the shoulder, but that's like the flip side of it. <laughs> uh, that's a good way to be, definitely. Um, you mentioned the FWA. I wanted to ask you about that because you have significant history there. Um, the name Alex Shane is a name that comes up a lot when you're talking about that period of time in that region, and uh, I seem to even recall Ring of Honor doing some work with Alex Shane and with the FWA, having some crossover. Uh, what was the significance of that territory and Alex Shane's influence on your career and sort of everybody in that area at the time? Yeah. I mean, I think, to be honest, I think Alex Shane really is a visionary in that field. You know, he's done so much for British wrestling, you know, back then and then since then, of course, as well, you know, in terms of moving it forward and bringing it out into into the open. And FWA was a big part of that. And, of course, it was started by... Um, Mark Sloan and Elizai Cabrera, and then Alex came in and started, you know, booking, and he was, I think he was maybe even the first, one of the first or the first to bring in people from places like Ring of Honor and, you know, companies that were really hot on the independent scene, and so he really understood that, you know, let's say, quote-unquote, smart market and bringing people, you know, making wrestling cool again for, mm. for young kids, you know, and yeah. showing that it was cool. And so I think he really brought things forward, you know, on that level. And then even after, you know, that ended and now with, you know, bringing 
bring it back to ITV and everything like that. I mean, he's had a huge influence on the sport, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had a really prolific career, as we said. You know, you were kind of a globetrotter. You know, you competed. Uh, you crossed a lot of international boundaries uh, to, to get ring time and get exposure and get experience. Um, and eventually you get on WWE's radar, which I think mm-hmm. um, is something worth noting because nowadays – the brand has expanded to where there's NXT UK, and there's sort of presences all over the world, uh, whether it be training facilities or scouting or whatever the case may be. Mm. It wasn't quite at that point, certainly, in the time when you got noticed. How, how um, difficult was it to get on the WWE's radar? Did you have to wait until the one or two times a year where they came over and tried to get a look, or what was the process like? Well, I really didn't know anything about that pathway, so I, I have to say that I never really tried it until, mm. just by coincidence, they had uh, these open tryouts where they had something on their website, you know, saying if you if you think that you have got what it takes, you know, apply here and, put it, you know, submit. So I did that, and then they had a tryout in, in England shortly after that to, you know, and then some of the people that submitted were invited to that, so I went to it, and then I never heard anything back. Um, but then a few months later, I met Tommy Dreamer at an independent show in England, mm. and then he asked me about it, and he said, well, if we come back over and you want to have another tryout, just give me a call. And so I did, and then that was a tryout at which I got signed. Okay. So essentially, if it hadn't been for Tommy Dreamer, I probably would never have ended up there. That's a, that's a common story. Yeah. Um, I was also, at that time, I was focusing a lot, you know, on my acting career again. Mm-hmm. I sort of, you know, was going down that path. I was doing theater in London, and I'd done a couple of, you know, films and things like that. So that was kind of taking up a lot of my focus. Yeah. And then that kind of almost was like a little sidetrack and then just changed my life. Well, was that was that good for you mentally? Looking back, because you were you were at a point in your life where a lot of wrestlers aren't. A lot of I think wrestlers who are looking to get to that next level, it's mm-hmm. all about that goal, and it's either you fail or you succeed. More fail than succeed, and you know a lot of uh, emotional and mental uh, trauma can result from that. <laughs> quite frankly, but the fact that you didn't have all your eggs in one basket right. did that kind of give you a better outlook you think in life and maybe set you up to be a success because you weren't dragged down by that stress? Uh, most likely. I would say I would say the short answer to that is yes. Mm-hmm. Even though I do still have obviously that mental stress overall and especially in the film business. Um, but maybe because that was always like the overreaching goal. Whereas wrestling it was sort of something that that I loved that I wanted to see myself in, in some capacity at some point, some day, but it wasn't like, oh my God, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. So you're right. So I didn't have that stress and that pressure of this has to succeed. It was more of a, oh my God, I can go to a school and I can learn all these really cool moves that I've seen on TV. And then what, now you're saying I can be on a show? You know, I mean, I wrestled for free for essentially, you know, several years at the beginning of my career. It wasn't like, you know, it was a struggle for me to do that. You know, I actually, I've told this story, I think I tell it on the documentary too, but I, years later after Impact, I was 
at an independent show and one of the girls came up to me and said, you know, has it been worth it? You know, the blood, sweat and tears and everything you had to put into it. And I, I was genuinely surprised because it hadn't felt for me like any of it wasn't, a, you know, sacrifice. And I used to drive down back, you know, FWA days. I used to drive three hours down to Portsmouth, train for a few hours and then drive three hours back again twice a week. And, and I wasn't, you know, earning a wage really. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I was still, I was in the negative when it came to wrestling, you know, in terms of my expense. Um, but it wasn't something where I thought, oh, this better pay off one day. It was, that was the payoff, you know, yeah. driving down with my friends and singing in the car, <laughs> the going and training and wrestling with all these amazingly talented people, you know, down at the FWA Academy, that was the payoff. And yeah. then doing a show was, you know, the cherry on top. So it wasn't like, you know, this, I'd better go to WWE one day. No, it was, that was what I, that was what I was there for. And then WWE came out of it organically, I guess. That's, that's amazing. Now, I mean, I think we've all been through these situations in life where we're kind of pushing for something. Maybe it's a job we want or an opportunity we want or a we want whatever the case may be but it's really just you're pushing yourself to see if you can get it and then once you get it then comes the time to decide do I really want it uh, now you already talked about how acting was such a big passion of yours you know you push for this opportunity with WWE you finally get to the point where they want to hire you mm-hmm. any mixed feelings there did you think about well maybe this isn't necessarily a direction I want to go in full time, especially realizing you had to uproot your life mm-hmm. and make basically just change your whole life and move to Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, uprooting my life has never been a problem for me. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy, you know, big changes. You know, it was exciting for me to try something completely new. Yeah. It was interesting too because I hadn't, it wasn't like, oh my God, that's the ultimate goal. I want to go to WWE. But once, I had that sort of contract waiting for me and they were going through the visa process and everything. You know, that's when it became stressful. That's when I thought, oh no, what if this doesn't happen? What do I do then? Because I just, I just realized it was just in terms of an opportunity, you know, from where I was to where I was going to be, yeah. you know, within the company, that was a huge leap forward, you know, however, which way you want to put it. And of course, you know, having watched WWE and being so obsessed with it, you know, as a younger person, this was like not an opportunity I was going to miss. Mm-hmm. And and so it all works out. You mm-hmm. do uproot your life. You do move to Kentucky. Now, for those who are newer wrestling fans and haven't heard of the legend of Ohio Valley wrestling and just sort of the conditions of what it was to live and be a in the WWE developmental system back then versus now with right. the performance center. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure this is going to be an understatement. Had to have been somewhat of a culture shock for you. Um, what was tougher for you? Was it the just assimilating to Kentucky, just to that general area, or just the lifestyle of being a full-time developmental wrestler? Well, it's sort of one and the same thing. Because when you are full-time in the developmental system, it's not like you really live in Kentucky like you would if you had an outside job. You know what I mean? Because you're 
you're working in the developmental center, you're training every day, the wrestlers are your friends. You know, everything's caught up in this one bubble. So it's almost like it could be anywhere. It just happened to be in Kentucky. That being said, I quite like Louisville. Um, they did, did have a nice little art scene, for example. You know, they have a little theater. It's actually, you know, there's, there's some things going on there that maybe you wouldn't necessarily expect if you didn't know anything about Nobody it. Nobody talks about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I think in, in terms of culturally and artistically, Louisville, I mean, had a little bit more going on than Tampa, should we say, for example. Mm. So in that sense, you know, I enjoyed my time there. But, you know, like I said, most of it was caught up in this in this wrestling bubble. And then plus the added stress of all of a sudden, you know, you're there and you're working for WWE, but you're not yet. So right. now you're terrified that you're going to get cut before you make it at least on TV, you know. So you're really so focused now on this one thing. So, like I said, it could be, you could be anywhere in the country. It probably wouldn't make a difference. Well, let's talk about that for a minute then, because in this wrestling bubble, you're now being trained the WWE way, the WWE style, certainly probably a, a lot of tri- trademark stylistic things that maybe were different than what you encountered in the years prior. Was that a big learning curve for you, coming from not even not WWE, but coming from you know somewhere else in the world where maybe things were even more drastically different? Yeah, I mean... Really, with Al Snow, our trainer there, really the, the focus was on the psychological aspect, you know, of the match and of the story. Mm-hmm. And it was used to say, moves don't matter. It's, you know, about how to draw the audience in. Not saying that moves are not important, right. but it's more important how you put them together and where you put them in the match rather than just going through you know, sequences that might look good, which is something that I had, you know, previously thought was more important. So in that sense, it was, you know, it was a big learning curve. And I still, uh, I was still put matches together or watch matches, and I'll still think in my head, what would Al Snow say about this? Because he's so (laughs) fundamentally, you know, impacted the way that, and, you know, and he was right because you could feel it in a match, Mm-hmm. You know, if it was if it was gripping the audience, if it was telling that story, or if it was just a nice display of athletics. His his ears are probably ringing about four times a day, and he doesn't know why it's you. <laughs> it's me, and probably everybody else has ever studied with him, probably as well. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, OVW, there is certainly a mystique and a legend to it because you know everyone always mentions the John Cena's, the Batistas, uh, the Randy Orton's, so on and so on. Just sort of this magical time when all this big name talent came out uh, of this one this one facility, but I don't think the women are mentioned nearly enough. Um, You know, you look at yourself, you look at Beth Phoenix, uh, there's a a pretty impressive list there as well. Do you feel like, like you guys don't necessarily get your just due in that regard as far as the legends of OVW? I mean, it's definitely, I think it's just in wrestling overall, it's that trend, Mm -hmm. you know, that, there was, and I think it's it's just it has also to do with quantity. I mean, for example, Mickey James, you know, is a big part of that as well. Sure. Um, 
And I, I just think that back then there wasn't so many. So then a few big names came out of that. And now it's it's a lot more prolific. So you have a lot of women coming out of the developmental talent uh, system. Yeah. yeah. With NXT. And then you had, you know, the women's revolution. Mm-hmm. Which in all fairness, you know, has been an evolution ever since, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wrestling began. But it's just, it's gone so slowly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, probably if there was just more women there, it would be a bigger talking point when it comes to OVW specifically. That's a, that's a really interesting point. And I know that your time is short and we've only got a couple minutes left, but I do want to ask a little bit more about that now that you bring it up. I mean, people talk about the, the women's evolution uh, in wrestling, and I think most isolated to that one point in time, what was it, five years ago or whatever the case may be, when we saw the emergence of, of Charlotte Flair and Sasha Banks and everyone kind of arriving uh from NXT to WWE to make that revolution mainstream, mm-hmm. do you feel like? And I know you're. I know I get what you're saying. That really the evolution has been since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. But do you think there were some strong roots that were laid down um, by yourself, not just you and Mickey and you know the rest of the names that we've talked about in developmental, but once you came to WWE and you started kind of evolving women's wrestling at that point, would do you consider that part of the same journey? I mean, yes. I mean, I, I don't know if I can really, you know, pat myself too much <laughs> on, on the back for, you know, moving anything forwards, but I, just in terms of, you know, having been there and, and working with some of the women, um, I mean, Melina, I'd like to mention as well, sure. who is unbelievably passionate and, you know, there's like a few of the, the women that worked there, you know, Beth, Mickey, Melina, and some others that never, ever phoned it in in a match. You know, no matter what the spot was on the card or how little time we had or, you know, all the odds that were against us, they always pushed and pushed and pushed to just make it that little bit better, you know. I don't know necessarily that I, I had that same impetus. Obviously, I wanted to do the best job, you know, possible. But they always pushed like the boundaries just as far as they could possibly go, mm-hmm. you know. And then, um, and I think that probably that influenced a lot of women that were there at the time. You know, you think about the Bella twins when they started, and everybody sort of wanted to go like, oh, they're just pretty twins, you know. That's why they're there. But right. honestly, they worked as hard as or more than a lot of the other talent that were there, you know. And I just think, yeah. A lot of a lot of the women that were there at the time were, were just pushing to, you know, just get a little bit of little bit more time, you know, a couple more interesting moves, you know, just just yeah. show a little bit more. So yeah, I hope I hope I did my bit. <laughs> no, I I look, I, I, I certainly think you did, and you know, the the evidence of that is the fact that we're almost out of time and we've barely scratched the surface for you. But yeah. I, I'm going to wrap up. Uh, a few things I wanted to bring up in one question for you. Um, you go to WWE. You have this storyline um, with your your brother on screen, Paul Burchill, that is a little different than the norm. There's, um, you know, in the beginning, some some insinuation of some weird stuff going on between brother and sister. And I'm, I'm going to wrap that up. <laughs> I'm going to wrap that up even going further, you know, in your time with Impact with TNA, uh, where you're playing this character who's sort of this 
kind of magical, mystical, <laughs> sort of super-powered evil thing. Yeah. Um, going back to what we talked about before, you know, your love of the, the creativity of wrestling, the mm. fantasy aspect of it. Yeah. Was all this right up your alley? Were you, like, excited to go beyond just doing what you do in the ring and bring these characters to life that were a little bigger than just bell to bell? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's always been about, you know, the characters and the storylines. And people always ask me, they're afraid to ask me about the incest thing, like they thought that maybe it was something that I didn't want to do or that's a little bit shameful or whatever. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I was all for it. I thought it was cool. And um, it's been in movies and television. But, you know, people are excited by it. You know, even in The Crow, you have the bad guy and his half-sister that's some weird... <laughs> you know, vibe thing going on. So, I don't know. I was I was excited about the storyline and, you know, upset that it wasn't able to go forward. And then again, you know, with Winter, obviously that was something that I was excited and passionate about too. And then if you look back at that time when I was at TNA, um, that's probably the, the time in my life where I've been on the show pretty much every week, but hardly had any matches because I had so, you know, we had so many backstage vignettes and we just kept telling the story. Right. And that for me was really my, my favorite thing about it. And I'm always, you know, grateful that I was able to really have a long running. And that was one of the things, by the way, just to touch again on OVW that I loved at OVW as well was the creative process. And then with Al, again, you had not just him teaching us how to tell stories in the ring, but also when it came to, telling our storylines with the, the characters and the backstage vignettes. And we were able to get, give input there as well. And he would always talk to us about it and how to best, you know, create heat and how to best move the story forward from week to week. And so that was, you know, probably in wrestling the two most creative and favorite times, you know, of my career. That's awesome. It, it's been an amazing career, and uh, you can learn so much more about it on this brand-new documentary, The Other Side of the Ring. Again, it's on digital platforms May 20th specifically. Uh, it'll be available on Tubi TV where available, Vimeo On Demand, and Google Play, all on May 20th with other platforms to follow. So congratulations on it. We encourage everyone to check it out. And... Uh, it's been great talking to you. At some point, we're going to nag you and try to get you back here because there's so much more to tell. But, that sounds uh, good to me. This has been a great, great chat. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, and uh, thank your cat for us and <laughs> who has disappeared. <laughs> thank, um, thank you for keeping quiet for the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, thank all you guys for checking us out this time out on My Big Break. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, 
He's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I don't want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an early champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. Here's Phil after, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was uh, uh, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it the loss. Did you have anything to do Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history.